The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning. Our scripture reading is coming from Exodus chapter 7, 1 through 7, and also chapter 9, 13 through 16. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron, 83 years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and all your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Before we get started, let us uh, look to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for this moment where we have to come to your word and to be reminded of your goodness, your faithfulness, and your power. And we ask in this moment that you would uh, change us through an encounter with your word. We ask in your son's name. Amen. So, when you look at me, you're probably not thinking, wow, Wayne is really big and strong and intimidating. But when I was 20 years old, I was confident. And so the fact that I wasn't big and strong then either didn't really faze me. And I remember one time I was in my apartment, I was in college, had a weekly Bible study. My cousin comes in the door, blood just running down his face. And he says, somebody just hit me in the parking lot. This world is crazy. And so I'm, you know, 20 years old, five foot nine, buck 55, soaking wet, had no business having confidence, but I stormed out the door thinking, who hit my cousin? I want to know who had the audacity to hit my cousin. And I turn and I look up the hill and I see this guy probably 6'4", about 250, 260 pounds. 
And I later found out he was an offensive lineman for the, for the football team at the Division I school where I was going. And I didn't stop. I said, hey, what happened? Now, at that moment, as I've already shared, I had confidence. The question that should have run through my mind is, was it legitimate confidence? Should I really have been so bold as to march up the hill and look at this guy clearly bigger than me and say, hey, what happened? When, when we look at our passage this morning, we are looking at Moses and Aaron standing up to someone who is clearly more powerful than them. And so we have to ask the question, should they have confidence? And when we look at our lives today, if you've been following debates with the race for mayor here in Memphis, you're aware that there are challenges facing our city. There are things that we can look at and say, this seems like a powerful challenge in our own lives. We know that sin has tempted us to take paths and make choices that are not good for us, and we know the power of sin and evil. And the question that we need to come to God's Word and answer this morning is, where can we get confidence from? How can we get confidence and so the first thing that I want us to do when we look at this passage, this morning we're going to quickly go through all ten plagues. Now, of course, I am not going to spend a lot of time looking at each and every plague, but we're going to look at what is going on in this section of Scripture and how this helps us think about how we face sin and evil today in our lives and in society. And I think... The first thing that we see in this passage that God wants us to understand is that evil is real and powerful. Evil is real and powerful. If you have been following up until this passage, you know that Pharaoh has power and he is wicked. Pharaoh has enslaved people. Whenever Pharaoh felt threatened, he ordered all the baby boys to be eliminated Whenever Moses and Aaron comes and says, will you just give us three days? We're not talking about a huge request. Three days off, that's it, to go out into, uh, into the, uh, out of the land to worship our God. Pharaoh says no, and he makes their lives even harder. Pharaoh is evil. And when we look at the plagues, there are ten times that God demonstrates his power, calling Moses to bring a plague on the people of Israel. And Pharaoh consistently says, oh, maybe I'll repent. And he doesn't. And he always goes back. And Pharaoh never relents. He continues in his rebellion against God. And there is one section where I want to highlight where we can see just how wicked Pharaoh is. Whenever the... Uh, God comes to, or Moses comes to the Nile River and says, uh, I'm calling this plague for the Nile River to be turned into blood. So all of their drinking water, now they're unable to drink. It's undrinkable. I'm thinking for me, if I had power and someone had turned my source of water into blood and I could use my power to do something about it, I would probably turn it from blood back into water. Pharaoh has no interest in that. 
Whenever Moses shows his power by turning water into blood or by bringing frogs to overwhelm the land, Pharaoh is not interested in reversing it. He just wants to flex his muscles and show his power. And so he calls on his magicians, you turn water into blood as well. You bring more frogs into the land. I don't care that this is making it worse for everybody. I just want to show that I am powerful. And in chapter 7, verse 22 to 23, we get these verses. He turned and went into his palace and did not even take this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Pharaoh doesn't even care about his own people. The only thing Pharaoh cares about is himself. Demonstrating his own power, he's off in the palace thinking, I don't care if we can't drink water. I've got a bottle of wine up here. Who cares what these other people are going to do? I am good. Pharaoh is wicked and evil, and when we come to the Word of God and we think about how can we stand against evil, one of the things that I love about God's Word is it doesn't sugarcoat things, or it doesn't pretend as if evil is not real and evil is not powerful. I've already mentioned there are discussions happening in our city, things that we need to address with crime or with our education system. And we need to recognize that there is sin and evil in the world and that standing up to it is challenging. If you are in the education system and you want to make a difference, you're not going to fix things this week. If you are part of the legal system, and you want to see justice be something that is seen throughout the system, it's probably not going to happen this week. If you, in your own life, know that you are struggling with temptation, it's probably not going to be a quick prayer, and it goes away. If you, even not by your own actions, but by the actions of someone else uh, against you, has committed sin against you, It's probably not going to go away in one week. The Bible is very clear. Evil is real and powerful. And this made me think of, I recently was reading a book on leadership by Jim Collins. I think it was Built to Last. And he tells the story of this prisoner of war who endured a very long time, Jim Stockdale. And they asked him, how did you do it? And he said, well, one of the first things I want to say is, by pointing out something that didn't work. He said, the optimist did not fare well. The people who constantly said, well, next week, someone's going to rescue us. And then that week came and went. And then they said, well, next month, someone's gonna come and rescue us. And the month came and went. Well, by Christmas, and then Christmas came and went. It was the people who had the ability to maintain hope but also face the brutal facts and to realize this is the problem. This is what we are facing. The first point that we get from this is that sin is real. And I think we know this in our lives, in our own hearts, and in society. One of the things that has struck me so much as I have visited the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama, or the Civil Rights Museum here, or read books on racism, is 
There was never a moment in the history of America where something happened and racism just went away. I've heard the point made, racism was not erased, it has just evolved. It has just looked different in different stages of American history. Even though we can point to things and say, oh look, so slavery ended there. But it keeps evolving, it keeps coming back. And we look at sin and evil, this is what happens. Sin is, is not something that just goes away, away very easily and we know this in our own lives. And I think there's also something very important in this passage. There's language in these passages that recalls creation. If you go back to Genesis 1, the Bible says that God called for swarms of swarms of animals to come from the water and to bless God's creation. What do we read here in this passage? Swarms of frogs. Swarms of flies, of locusts, of gnats. And it's not blessing people. It's wreaking havoc. In God's creation, in Genesis 1, God has this design for humans to rule with him in a way that leads people to love God and love neighbor. With Pharaoh, we do not see that at all. And one of the results of that type of leadership that stands in opposition to God is that creation has been turned on itself and everything. There is just uh, chaos and destruction everywhere. And that is what we see in this passage. And so, when we look at our church and the things that we want to see happen, I know that our church has so many people in education. We have people in the legal system. We have doctors, people who are wanting to see creation thrive the way that God intended it thrive, that people would love God, that people would love their neighbor. We partner with organizations, Advance Memphis, to address uh, employment issues in our neighbor, Restore Corps, addressing trafficking. In all of these things, it is first of all important for us to recognize these challenges are not small. Evil is real. Evil is real and powerful. And fortunately, our passage does not end there, though. We know that we are not stuck with a 20-year-old me trying to stand up to Pharaoh. But there are more resources. And so when we look at the second point from this passage, while evil is real and powerful, we know that God is real and more powerful. Up until now, it might not seem like God is more powerful than Pharaoh. Because we have seen Pharaoh do what he wants with the people of Israel. We have seen his wickedness. And Pharaoh probably has confidence thinking, well, I can do what I want to do. I'm not intimidated by Moses. I'm not intimidated by, by this God that you're talking about. And it, when I was going through this, it made me think a little bit of the movie The Equalizer which I, I've, it's been a couple years since I've seen this, but it's one of these action movies. And what's interesting about the movie is you have Denzel Washington who is just working at a Home Depot. This mild-mannered guy, this guy's a little bit older, and he comes into conflict with a, a group of, of young people who are strong, they're, they're greater in number, they have more weapons, and they underestimate Denzel. 
Now, if you've watched movies before, you know you don't underestimate Denzel. That's a really bad life choice to make. But they don't know that, and they mistakenly underestimate this mild manner, slightly older guy working at Home Depot. And it does not end well for them. By the end of the movie, you want to know what's a weapon. I mean, that microphone right there is a weapon. Denzel just brings their whole organization to its knees, and it has no power whatsoever. And when we look at this passage, we see Pharaoh underestimating God. And it's important to realize one reason why Pharaoh and so many people underestimate God is because God is patient. And God is forgiving. And God gives people a chance to repent and to turn around. This is the book of Jonah. Jonah goes to this wicked people and Jonah's like, man, I know God's going to give them another chance and he's going to forgive them. And oh, I don't want to see that happen. So many times evil people look at the love of God, at the forgiveness of God, at the patience of God, and think I can do what I, what I want to do. It is important to recognize that while evil, uh, while evil will un, um, while evil will underestimate, uh, evil can underestimate God. I'm sorry, I got off of my notes real quick. Oh, um, the Bible does not underestimate evil, but evil underestimates the power of God all the time. And so we need to not be fooled into thinking that God's patience should distract us from the fact that God is powerful. And another huge point that we see from this passage is how God deals with evil. God is powerful and he deals with evil. It is common in churches for us to talk about how God will use evil and suffering to produce something beautiful. This is a glorious truth that we have in God's word. Is it not? To know that somebody can do something wicked and God is going to do something beautiful. But this passage does something more than just say that God is going to take the mess and the suffering, the injustice that you're experiencing it goes beyond just saying God is going to do something beautiful in your life through that. It is legitimate if you or if there's a, a community that has experienced injustice, it is a legitimate question for them to say, okay, God, that's great that you're going to do something in me through this, but are you actually going to judge evil? Are you going to do something about it? And this passage offers a, an answer to that with a resounding yes. God will judge. Justice does happen. Sometimes as Christians, we can, we can shy away. We want to talk about God's love, but we shy away from talking about God's justice. And I think this passage says, you know what? God's justice is an important truth. Miroslav Volf, a Croatian theologian who had seen so many atrocities of war, in Eastern, Euro in Eastern Europe, has written quite a bit on this topic. And one of the points that he makes is that it is common for people to talk about the value of nonviolence. But Miroslav Volf makes the point, if all we have is the statement that God is love, 
Do we have enough to not respond in violence? Do we have enough to choose nonviolence? If there is no belief that someday there will be justice, can we withhold ourselves? He is saying, unless we believe that there is some justice in the world and that God will deal with evil, it is really difficult to sit back and to say, I'm going to choose nonviolence. And I think that is a very important point for us to wrestle with, that God does not overlook evil. He does more than bring beauty out of unjust suffering. He deals with the injustice. And I think it's also important when we look at the plagues, uh, we can think, okay, this is great. God dealt with this one wicked ruler in this one point in time. But we're in a different time, and there's different challenges, and there's different people. And we know that as soon as one unjust ruler is dealt with, another one is coming. And so when we look at the ninth plague, I think it's important to remember Scripture has one author. And so when Moses stands before Pharaoh and says, there's going to be three days of darkness, Moses did not know this. But God, who was orchestrating everything, knew that what was going to happen is that someday in the future, there would also be a period of three days where it would seem as if evil had triumphed. Moses probably did not fully grasp this, but God pronounces this judgment of darkness for three days because he knew that someday in the future, Jesus would be in the tomb for three days and Satan would be thinking, yes, evil has triumphed. And this three-day period of wickedness might look as if the wrong side was winning. And yet we know that on that third day, Jesus rose. And we know that throughout the life of Jesus, he was casting out demons. He was overcoming Satan. We may look at Pharaoh and say, that's great that, that God defeated this one ruler, but there's so many more. And when we come to the Gospels, we know that God has defeated sin and death. And so when we wonder, can we stand with confidence against evil, the answer is a resounding yes we can have confidence, legitimate confidence, not 20-year-old me kind of confidence. We can have legit confidence looking at the evil that we see in the world. And so I want to look now, what do we do with this? So we have seen that evil is real and powerful. Not pulling any punches, it's difficult. But we have also seen that God is real and powerful. But we have this question that I think we need to, to ask, well, what about us? Uh, I'm not God. Can I have confidence? So I want to go back to the story. You might be wondering what happened to me when I charged up that hill and yelled out, what happened? So I'm here today, so you might guess where the, uh, that it, it didn't go as bad as it could have gone. 
But I remember asking that guy, what happened? And he looked at me and said, I saw it. Somebody hit this guy and then left. Now, if you thought I had confidence before, imagine now that I've got this six foot four, 260 pound offensive lineman on my side, at that point, I was ready to confront injustice with zero lack of confidence. Hey, where's this guy at? Which way did he go? Let's go track him down. I wanna find that guy and make sure that justice is served. And in this passage, when we come to what do we do, we follow God. We oppose evil, whether it is out there or in here, because we know that we can be on God's side. There is something in this passage, we see God's sovereignty emphasized. Even when Pharaoh rebels, we see Pharaoh's rebellion is presented as this happened and God said it would happen. There's this phrase that's repeated, Pharaoh's heart was hardened as the Lord said. It happens several times. But two times in this passage, in this section, we see something different. Once with the frogs and once with the flies. Moses stands and commands the frogs to, 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 uh, to retreat, commands the flies to retreat. And there's an inversion of this phrase. Instead of this happened as the Lord said, we say, Moses said this, and it happened, uh, or the Lord did this as Moses said it would happen. God was doing what Moses commanded. And we see in chapter 7, verse 1, God looks to Moses and says, See, I have made you like a God to Moses. Whenever Moses is aligned with the will of God, not only can he have confidence, he should have confidence. There's no reason why he should not be confident standing up against Pharaoh. This is not the same thing as a 20-year-old me. And I want to stop here and, and recognize something very important. Whenever we see this theme of God judges sin, we might be tempted to then go out and say, all right, that's great. We're part of God's people. We're not judged, but all y'all outside of these walls, you get a judgment, and you get a judgment, and you get a judgment. And yet, I don't think we see that in this passage. In chapter 9, there's this verse where God looks at Pharaoh and says, yes, I am judging you, but I have raised you up for this purpose, that other people will look at you and recognize that following your path is bankrupt. And I want to draw people to me. Even in my judgment, I want to use the judgment to bring other people to me. And we even see that just a couple verses later in chapter 920. Even some of the officials who feared the word of Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock in. It's not that God loved Israel and did not care about anybody else. Whenever the people of Israel left, Chapter 12, 38 talks about a mixed multitude left with them. There were people from Egypt who experienced the salvation. There's also this incredible verse in Isaiah that talks about what God is going to do. Uh, if I can read this real quick, Isaiah, 
Isaiah uh, 19, if we're wondering, well, does God not care about everybody else? Notice the language and how similar it is to what is happening in the book of Exodus. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord. Almighty, to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt, when they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, Egypt is crying out because of their oppressors. He will send them a savior and defender, and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and in that day, they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifices and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord and will respond to please and heal them. Even in God's judgment, we see God wanting to bring people in and experience his blessing. And so for us, what do we do? We follow God and we oppose evil knowing that when we look around our society and we see things that are going against what God has designed or desired in his creation, we can oppose that. If we, if we are trying to make a difference in our school, in the legal system, with some of the different nonprofit organizations that we partner with, we can with confidence recognize that God is able to do something in our own lives. I think so many of us know what it is like to experience how it feels as if evil is more powerful in our own lives. I love that when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, we, we looked at the problem is not just evil out there, but in our own hearts, there is greed, there is lust, there is anger. There is problems in our own lives, and yet God is powerful, and God is with us, and God has given us his word, and God has given us his spirit. And so we're, this week, my encouragement to you is to remember the goodness of God, to remember the faithfulness of God, the power of God. And one of the unique things that I love about Christianity is Christianity has the ability to describe a situation as with all of the brutal facts. This is evil. These are the results of evil, and it is bad. And yet there is still hope. There is still hope that something can change, that we can look out in society. Far too often Christians have understood the sin is evil part and then thought, well, there's not much we can do to change things out there. We'll just sit back and wait for Jesus to come. And I don't think that's how we should respond. We should look at God's designs for creation to draw people to love him and to love their neighbor. And we go out and follow God. And and so the main idea that I want to get, uh, get across this morning is that with legitimate confidence, we can oppose evil out there and in here. Whether we're seeing the results of evil in society or in our own lives, we can and should with legitimate confidence oppose evil. 
And so this week, I encourage you to read Exodus 7 through 11. Go through these stories, and then go forward to the resurrection and and crucifixion narratives and see how Jesus has conquered sin and death. And I want to close quickly with a story about a a refugee family. Someone shared this story with me recently, and I, I think it's appropriate in this passage when we think about what God has been doing in his people. It's interesting, beginning with Genesis 12 with Abraham and up until this point, God's people are immigrants and refugees and slaves. And that's who God chose to begin his people with. God's people still have not experienced what it's like to worship God in their own land. And I was listening to a lady recently talking about volunteering at an organization And helping this family get resettled into the U.S. And she said, I just felt overwhelmed trying to get all these doctor's appointments, kids enrolled in school. And I I wondered, well, what, how is God using this seemingly insignificant thing that I'm doing? And this was 15 years ago. What was so encouraging about her story was she said, while I was helping this family out because they needed help, 15 years ago. Today, this same family has created an organization where I'm actually volunteering in their organization because they're serving refugees back in Africa. They're doing things in Africa. So often, we can look at things in our lives and think, how is God able to use what I am doing? How is God able to take what I am offering to him and to somehow combat evil, to, come how, to somehow combat the anti-creative acts that we see in the world. And I think if we reflect on these passages, we will see that uh, we can, with legitimate confidence, oppose evil. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and for your kindness. And we ask that this week that you would remind us of who you are, remind us of your story We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. In doing that, uh, let me say a quick word of prayer, and then let us stand for the benediction as we leave this place. All right. Father, thank you so much that you uh, are the God of this church and that we cast all of our cares unto you. Every burden, every stress, every cry, every tear, every concern, even the joys, we cast them all upon you, Father. And we ask that you meet us where we are because we need you, Lord. We need you more than anything in life. For we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. All God's people say together. Will you stand to your feet to receive the benediction, knowing that you are leaving this place, not holding something to yourself, but you are telling everyone about the God that you heard about. Amen, somebody? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. All God's people said together, go in peace.